Welcome to the Kenosha City Church Podcast. Take a deep dive into this chapter-by-chapter study through the book of Revelation, telling of things to come. In this message, we'll be in chapter 3 as Jono teaches about the last three of seven churches that Jesus addresses. Enjoy the message. As I was kind of just praying and and asking God, what does it mean to be ready? Um, What does it mean to be ready for your return? And honestly, as I started to pray about it more, I just started to realize that that I am not the definition of what it means to be ready. I mean, you got to prep. There's you have to be organized, detail oriented, um, and those things. I'm just I'm honestly just not really that great at. And I know some of you here this morning, you already have your calendar uh, like planned out. It's color coordinated. You got stickers and and cute stuff on there. Already. And that's just not that's just not me. Um, my wife will often ask. My, my wife Megan, she's in the back. She'll often ask, "Hey, babe, are you ready to go?" And for some reason, I find it inside of me to say yes. But I'm still looking for my socks, shuffling around, looking for pants. Uh, and then sometimes I feel like I am ready and like, all right, let's go out the door. And I'm like, oh, gosh, where's my keys? So I like go back inside with my shoes on, which is a no-no, to look for my keys somewhere in my other pants. Um, but, you know, I, it's just not me. And, uh, you know, when my wife and I first got married, I was in charge of two things. Just two things, and uh, one was to find a place to live. And so, as every newlywed, they find a place on the north side of Kenosha, Petretti Apartments, not a sponsor, um, but it's cute, um, cute 900-square-foot apartment, and that seemed to go okay. And then uh, we met at a Starbucks, and, all right, babe, where do you want to go to honeymoon? And so, let's go all out. So, okay, Costa Rica, let's go to Costa Rica. And uh, I said, all right, I'll take care of it. Worry about the wedding, I'll take care of it. And so I go online, start looking at all the places that we could stay, group on, all the rest. I book the airline tickets and get everything in order. I even start like, okay, what can we do in, in Costa Rica and what can we pack and all, and all this other stuff. And so days before, days before going, I get this kind of gut feeling. Uh, you ever get a gut feeling that you don't really know why or what's up, but something, something is wrong. Okay, I see some head shakes, yep. And so... Um, I go online, and I look at our flights, and I'm like, three hours, one way to Costa Rica. It's like, oh, okay, looks interesting. So kind of look into it more and, and come to find out the tickets that I thought I had bought to San Jose, Costa Rica were actually tickets to San Jose, California. We were not ready to go. And honestly, I didn't know what would happen. I'm like, I already, I already messed up my marriage. I, I, didn't, know, I didn't know what was going to happen. So she actually walked in the door, and I'm on my knees. I'm like, babe, please don't hit me with the frying pan. Or I, I, I didn't know what was going to happen. Uh, you have PTSD growing up as a kid. But uh, I didn't know what was going to happen. And, but, you know, maybe some of you are here this morning, and you're getting ready for something. Uh, maybe you're expecting a child or a newborn, and so you're, um, you're reading books about how to be a better parent, and you're talking to moms, you're going on Facebook and joining the moms group. Um, maybe you're here, you're getting ready to start a business, and so you're talking to business owners, you're, you're um, befriending business owners, listening to podcasts, and, and you're doing all that so that you can pick up tips and tricks and whatever else, and maybe, maybe you're engaged, and so uh, you're going through premarital counseling, and uh, you're hanging out at Summer Moon and going through... Uh, you know, all the, all the b- dating books and going through all the questions and, and asking all that stuff. All of these things, all of these things that we do, we do so that we can be ready. 
without realizing it, what we're doing is we're putting various people in our lives and our circles to point out, to show, to correct, and to reveal all of our blind spots so that we can be ready. And so what I hope to show you today is that Jesus corrects us. He points things out in us. He points out things that we don't see um, so that his church can be ready. So my main point today is a ready church is, is open to correction. A ready church is open to correction. I know for me, when, when I get corrected, and I know it's probably not the best, but I, I'm tempted to believe that I am altogether being rejected. And, that's, and I know that's simply not the case. And maybe for you, when someone corrects you, it's maybe you think they don't like you, or maybe you think uh, you should just give up on whatever you're doing. Um, maybe just a bunch of insecurities pop up inside of you, and you just, you just don't know what to do. But what we ought to believe is that because Jesus corrects us, because he points things out in us, it is because he actually cares for us. Jesus deeply loves you, and so he points things out in you. Tim Keller, he's a pastor out in New York, he said this. He said, love without truth is sentimentality. It supports and affirms us, but keeps us in denial about our flaws. Truth without love is harshness. It gives us information, but in such a way we cannot really hear it. Love without truth is, is like a mile, it's a mile wide, but it's very shallow. Right? If someone doesn't point something out in you, if, if someone never brings up anything about your flaws or your shortcomings, do they really care about you? I know in, in some extreme cases uh, that if someone doesn't point things out or doesn't bring up anything, it's, it can be like a kind of neglect to a relationship. Right? If you're a parent or if you're a guardian or even if you babysit kids, uh, you know that you have to tell them what to do. Um, you don't want them to die. Like, like why do you hide in the, the washing machine? Like, you could pick a safer place to hide when you're doing hide and seek or something. Um, I haven't experienced that yet. One day, I have two little girls. One day, one day, we'll see how that goes. Um, but there was a TV show a while back. There was a TV show, and uh, it was kind of a social experiment. And so there was, uh, there was two homes. It was a home for, for boys and a home for girls. And so there was uh, 10 of each, and they had five days that they could live in this house without super, uh, you know, uh, adult supervision. And so, uh, you know, the boys get into this home, and they you know, oh, this is great, this is great, and they get a powwow, they figure out who's kind of the alpha dog, who's going to run the show, and, and the girls, the girls do whatever girls do, and they hug and, and giddy and laugh, and, you know, this is going to be good too, and so, uh, so, so what happens with the boys is, um, throughout the five days, is that they eat whatever they want, they do whatever they want, they sleep wherever they want, there's no really rhyme or reason to what they do. Um, the girls, however, they have, uh, they have a dinner, dinner schedule, and you know, they cook together, and you know, it's, it's all good. And, and so, of course, the boys, uh, the boys just kind of do whatever they want. But at the end of the five days, what happens is that the house, the boys' home looked like, like an abandoned drug house. And, and the girls, I mean, it was messy. Just going to be honest. It was messy. But, uh, but, you know, they were kind of like all mad at each other. They weren't really talking. And, and just at the, end of, at the end of the week, it was just absolutely horrible. Because no one was, was over them. If we're ever going to be ready, it won't be outside of God's supervision. It won't be outside of God's oversight. 
his influence, his correction. Hebrews 12 says, Moreover, we have all had uh, human fathers who've, who've disciplined us, and, and we respected them for it. How much more? How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Without Christ, without his Holy Spirit, without the word of God, we can find ourselves tearing down our own homes, tearing down even our own relationship with Christ. But when he corrects us, it is ultimately because he cares for us. So we ought to be open. We ought to be open to what he has to tell us. So why? Why should we be open? Well, my first point here today is that we are open because he is invested. If you have any reservations about listening to Jesus' correction or heeding his correction, agreeing with whatever he might have to say about your ready condition, the least we can do is, is to look back to see how he has already invested in us. Uh, I love what uh, John says in, in Revelation chapter 1, and I, I know I'm breaking the rules here because we're supposed to be in chapter 3, but it's relevant. Uh, John, John opens up Revelation, he says, uh, and he reminds us to look back at what Jesus has already done for us. He says in Revelation 1, verse 5, he says, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood. And I, I, I love what, how, how he describes Jesus. He says that uh, he is the faithful witness. The word witness here is actually, if you were to look into it, it's, it means martyr. So it's like faithful to death. Jesus is loyal unto death. He's the firstborn from the dead. Is that He'll never tell you or bring you to a place that he has never gone before himself. He's the ruler of the kings of the earth. Is that he's control, he's, has control over whatever, whatever is going on in, in our world. He is over it. And to him who loves us and freed us from our sin is that he has given 100% of himself to us and for us. If Jesus died for our sins, if Jesus died knowing the depth of our sinfulness, will he not continue the process for the readiness of his church? See, what the gospel should tell us, what it should stir inside of us is that Jesus is wholly 100% invested to get us ready for his return. He has invested every aspect of himself for our success. And so while we are corrected by him, while, uh, while we are, you know, sometimes told off by him, while he may, you know, pick out a blind spot in us, is that we are at the same time 100% loved by him. Revelation chapter 3, he says, To the angel of the church in Sardis, I write, These are the, the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. See, this first church, Sardis, is that this church gave the appearance that they had a living, breathing, vibrant relationship with Christ when they did not. Sardis fell into a belief that they merely had to appear alive to be accepted by Christ. 
And so what Sardis, uh, and so uh, Sardis was so versed at appearing alive that they did all the programs, they sing all the songs, they, they did all the things, they had the routine down. Um, but even Jesus, even Jesus himself, he said they were so good at that, is that you have a reputation for being alive. Like a reputation can be good, it can be, it can be bad, but they were so good at it that even Jesus said you had a reputation for being alive. See, to have a reputation means that you have to be consistent with something, that you have to be consistent with something for a very long time. Um, when I think of reputation, I think of a good reputation, at least. I think of Chick-fil-A. Yeah, Chick-fil-A. I know it's horrible because you can't go there today, but uh, whatever. Uh, Chick-fil-A, they know how to make a good sandwich. They know how to they have an awesome sauce that you can get. Uh, even at Target, you know, it's so good. But the thing that, w- that we all know about Chick-fil-A is that they know how to run a drive-thru. They know how to get food out the door. And so if I pull up, if I pull up to Chick-fil-A and, and I see the lines all the way out to, like, Costco, you know, the Costco parking lot, um, I'm still going to get in line because I know my food's coming to me in, like, two minutes. Like, it's just it's so, so good, right? A bad reputation, however, would be like McDonald's, all right? McDonald's, if you're listening, very sorry. <laughs> um, right? Just today after church, just just go ahead and try to buy an ice cream cone. Just attempt to do it. <laughs> Not gonna happen, right? We all know what they're gonna say. But the thing is, the thing is, is that what Jesus is pointing out here is that in many ways is that through routine, through re- repetition, we can deceive ourselves into thinking that we are ready simply because we can do all of the things. Because we can do all of them and, and we got really good at them or we got, down the, we, we got the routine down is that somehow we think that we're ready because of those things. But if Christ died to give us salvation, why do we need to act and appear as though we have it through other means? Why do we feel the need to fake it to make it? For some reason, we can start to believe that by being ready is just to merely show up regularly. Show up, sing the songs, and, and do the things, and go through the motions. And, and none of these things are wrong. I, I'm not trying to point out that coming here every week and, and getting plugged in and, and doing the things and having routine, like, routine's not wrong. But if we fool ourselves to think that routine is what actually makes us ready before God, then it is wrong. I know for me, like, I've had some of the, the, the best um, yeah, experiences with, with Christ and, and with, with the church and, and with, with other Christians have been at various programs. It has been at worship nights and, and conferences and, and all of these things, and those things are awesome. But, but if we fool ourselves to think that by going to them, by kind of sneaking, sneaking around and getting through the door, that somehow Jesus thinks we're part of the crowd, but he knows our hearts. And, and for you, I'm sure that you can think of of times that you've spent with Christ at various functions or programs or conferences, and, and God has really done something in you. But the issue is that when we, we replace the Gospels, when we replace, and I hate to say it, an authentic, authentic relationship with Christ that merely looks like one because we have routine, that's, that's where it gets, it gets dicey. Routine and appearance doesn't automatically mean healthy. It doesn't automatically mean good. It's like, like there's times in a, in a marriage where you kind of you get into the coast of things and you kind of get into the routine of things and so life gets busy so you come home and 
you know, you take the trash out or you say hi to the kids and you put them to bed and you start doing all of these things, do the dishes. Some of us do the dishes, uh, vac <laughs> vacuum. Uh, we, we do all these things and because we, we, you know, put the check mark in the box is that we're good. Is that we're good, and, and so from the outside, everything looks good, and that we have a healthy and vibrant marriage, but in reality, it's just us kind of going through the motions and checking the box. And I love, and I love what Jesus says. He says that he has found uh, these deeds unfinished, right? That sounds interesting. It's like, well, do we have to do more? Do we have to do more deeds? If he's found them unfinished, do we have to kind of just go ahead and do some more? Well, this un word unfinished actually implies verification. So in other words, these, these works or these deeds are not the qualification, they are not the verification for what it takes to have a relationship with Christ, right? It's Christ who has done the work for us so that we can have a relationship. All of these things, all of these deeds are often seen from somebody who has a relationship with Christ, but they do not precede Christ, right? These, these, all of these things are birthed out of a relationship with Christ, right? And many of these things are conduits for how we experience Christ, but they are not him, and he continues on, he says, remember, therefore, what you have received, hold fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know what time I will come to you. See, getting unstuck from the routines and the appearance of things starts with remem remembering, pondering, meditating, experiencing, and gripping onto the gospel again. If there's anything that all believers have received, if there's anything that we've all received, if we put our faith in Christ, it is the gospel Right, if you're, if we're, we're going to give the gospel again, so if, if you haven't yet, we, you will. Um, but the gospel tells us that we no longer have to hide in shame. We no longer have to hide uh, to appear to be something we are not. Right? And it's not that Jesus won't change us along the way. That's not what I'm implying. Um, the fundamental principle is that Jesus takes us as we are, but he never leaves us the same. And one of my favorite core values here at, at Kenosha City is, is that we are not perfect people, but people made new. And maybe you're here this morning and you feel like you just have to kind of like fit in, just do what everybody else does. Maybe it's, you think it's, I have to grab a coffee to, to look like a Christian, or um, I have to, I don't know why that that's, coffee is just good, I don't know. Um, maybe you have to like kind of like mumble through the songs because you don't know it, but if, you know, you don't want to make sure everybody, you know, thinks that you're a Christian if you know the songs. That's not what it means to be a Christian. Yes, we do those things and you learn those things, but Jesus, Jesus is what in us is what makes us ready. Because when you stop to think and, and ponder why we do what we do, why do we come to Kenosha City or why do we go to life group or sing praises on Sunday morning or go to worship nights or join the host team or volunteer, what revolves all, what, what is revolving around all of those things is a group of people who have experienced Jesus himself. That's what it means to be alive. It's not that you just have to fake it to make it, put a circle through a square, you know, a square hole. It's just the Jesus in you. Just, that's all it is. And the church of Sardis was acting as though they had to appear to be something. They were not. My second point today is that we are open because he has a plan for us. Because Jesus points things out in us, he is affirming that we have a role or a part to play. Right? If someone points something out in you, it's because, because you have a role to play. Um, there's, there's something more that you can do or you can get better at for a reason. 
And so whatever, whatever God is working in you or through you or in us or through us is because there's a grand scheme of redemption until he returns. Um, there's actually a larger story at play than just our own 90 years here, our own little bubble. All right? there's, like Jesus is like there's, there's something more going on here. So the book of Revelation is not merely isolated to its own. It's not just kind of the book end of the Bible. It's, uh, it's, it's full of crazy depictions and, you know, Stars falling out of the sky and just weird events. Like it's more, it's more than that. It is that, but it's more than that. It's actually how God is wrapping up and, and restoring humanity and getting a relationship back with him. John Stott, I, I like what he says about this. He says, it is as if a great drama is being enacted. History is the theater, the world is the stage, and the church members in every land are the actors. God himself has written the play and he directs and produces it act by act, scene by scene, and the story continues to unfold. So here's the question. How can we be a part of the story? How can we, how can, how can we get in the game? Well, firstly, we know that uh, we, we can get in the game by the Great Commission. Um, God has told us, um, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the, the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. That's, that's one way we can get, be part of the game before he, before he comes back. Um, the, second way, the second way is that um, we can participate in the church. Ephesians 4 uh, says that now these are the gifts Christ has given to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and the teachers, their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. God has given you a gift to use in the church. You don't need to come here and just feel like you can't give more than just saying hello or hi. Is that God wants to use you in ways that you probably haven't even thought yourself. And while I can't tell you exactly how God will use you, I'm sure that just comes through time being in the church and, and putting your gifts into, into action. I can tell you is that you do have a role. God has given a gift to you. And while you might think it's just, just volunteering on Sunday mornings or maybe just being on the worship team or, or being in the nursery, like we want you to, to be a part of those things. But there's something that no one else in the world has given to you except God. And it's so important to his work. And there are three, so there are three things that I want to point out that the Church of Philadelphia um, did right. This, this church actually... Um, wasn't corrected by God, and so I can't give you a correction on them. There wasn't anything to give, but I do think that there are three three things that I just want to point out real quickly of how we can um, just good things that they did that I think some tidbits that we can we can pull from them. Um, these aren't the end all be all. There's so much more to it, but I just want to mention them to you. Uh, Revelation three it says to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, right? These are the words of him who was holy and true, who holds the key of David. Um, what he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. First thing I want to notice is that God opens the door for the gospel. All right, you'll notice the, the, the verbiage, open door. Um, there's probably food there. Uh, but open, open door. Um, open door is used throughout the New Testament uh, as an opportunity to share the gospel. 
2 Corinthians 2.12 says, And now when I went to uh, Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door for me. Colossians 4.3 says that, And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in change or in chains. <laughs> well, so you may ask, okay, so if it's preaching the gospel, um, how do I know which door is the door that God is opening for me to share? Like, how do I know which opportunity is? Well, there was a man, uh, there was a man who came up to Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon was uh, a great preacher in the 1800s, and a man came up to him and said, hey, I, I want to learn how to share my faith more. And so Charles said, okay, um, what do you do? Like, what do you do for a living? And so he said, um, well, uh, I drive a train. And so he says, okay, the, the man who puts the coal in the engine, all right, this is throwback, the man who puts the coal in the engine, um, uh, is he a Christian? And he goes, uh, I don't know. Well, he says, well, go back and find out. <laughs> like, sometimes it's just a matter of breaking the ice. Like, there's nothing, like, God is opening doors for us, but sometimes it's just a matter of, of kind of breaking the ice and, and, and just finding out whether someone believes in Christ or not. Right? That's, that's the front door method, as I, was, as I would call it, is that it's the people you meet at work, the people at the gym, the, the same clerk that you talk to at, at Quick Trip. Quick Trip's awesome. Uh, quick Trip, um, uh, but sometimes it's just, it's like those opportunities to share your faith are available. It's just, but sometimes we're so busy to see it. Sometimes we're a little scared to see it. Sometimes uh, we have, uh, you know, we're just uh, too busy in life to see it. Like whatever, whatever the case may be, God is, is 100% opening doors to share your faith. The backdoor method is what I would call is that people just come to you about Christ. Like maybe they see that you have a Kenosha City bumper sticker on your, on your van or your car, and so they just kind of ask you about it. Or I know but, but several of you have, have, like people have said, hey, do I know you from somewhere? And then it's been like, oh, yeah, I saw you on, on an ad uh, that Kenosha City posted or whatever it may be. Um, I know for me, like there was, there'd be times at, um, at work, uh, not now, but there, there was, I used to work at um, La Fagata here in town, and there'd be times where, people would come up to me and say, hey, I heard that you're studying to be a priest. And I'm like, <laughs> if you were here last week, that's kind of funny. Uh, <laughs> I heard that you're studying to be a priest. I'm like, uh, no. Uh, they're like, okay. Oh, I, I did youth ministry, so they heard that I was doing some kind of youth ministry. And so, I, and so like, I had so many people come up to me and ask me about that. I just finally said, yes, I'm studying to be a priest. Uh, and they're like, wait, aren't you married? And I'm like, yes. How does that work? Don't ask me about it. Uh, <laughs> Um, but honestly, it was just like people just started coming up to me, and like those were the opportunities, those are the natural segues that sometimes God makes for us to share the gospel. And I ended up just talking with them about the faith, and then throughout time, it's just like they would come to me and ask me about various topics they had on their minds, maybe what they were going through, whatever it may be. And, and so sometimes you just don't see the door that God's opening for you, and, and, but God is opening doors. It may not be the ones that we naturally think, but it happens. And so whether you're praying for your friends or your family or coworkers or, or just Kenosha in general, God is working to open up doors. The second thing that we see that Philadelphia did, did awesome is that, is that they leaned into God's grace. If we're going to do whatever God wants us to do, we have to lean into, into his strength. Right? God mentions that Philly had little strength. The church of Philadelphia was actually the youngest out of all the seven churches uh, so you can imagine that if you're the youngest, you're usually not the strongest, you're not the wisest, you may not even have as much money um, as maybe your other siblings, and, 
uh, or in this case, other churches. Um, but despite being the underdog, God actually commends them for pressing on. Um, Philly found the ability to lean into God's strength rather than their own. One commentator says that it's not a matter of great strength nor of great ability, but great dependability. The city of Philly was actually uh, built as a mission city. It was built to propagate uh, Greek ideas, Greek culture, philosophy. The, the, the word Philadelphia is actually a Greek word for brotherly love. Um, and so Philly was likely, likely bombarded with like who had the best ideas, the best speech, uh, maybe even the best tapioca. I mean, tapioca is good. Um, but what piqued God's interest, what moved God's heart um, was not actually that, that Philly necessarily knew the, knew the most or they were the best church out of all the other churches, but it was that they actually leaned into God's strength rather than their own. They were the smallest, and yet God didn't correct them for hardly anything. And I know for me, I consistently have to fight the idea that maybe God can't use me because I'm not that articulate, or maybe God can't use me because I don't maybe know that much, and maybe for you, Maybe for you it's the same way, that, that maybe I, I don't know the Bible that much, or I'm newly saved, or I, I don't know how to connect with, with the younger generation now. Like, whatever, whatever the case may be, leaning into God's strength is how we fulfill his purpose. The other thing that I would just want to notice is that um, Philadelphia actually kept God's word. It said that they kept his word and did not deny his name. Uh, Jesus says that despite having little strength, you've kept my word and have, de- have not denied my name. So keeping God's word is actually a way that we can do what he has called us to do, even if, even if for a season, you may not really know what to do. To keep God's word is, of course, to read it, to consume it, meditate over it. Um, and I, I know when I read this passage, I just thought of maybe, maybe some of you are here this morning. So uh, what you do is in the morning, you open your Bible, you pour yourself a nice hot cup of coffee and you take a picture and you post it on Instagram or Facebook. Hashtag coffee, hashtag Jesus fills my cup, hashtag like whatever it may be, like Psalms, like 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 this is one way to gospelize, I get it. Um, that is a way to keep God's word in our hearts, but to keep his word is actual, is, is actually also doing his word, practicing his word. There's actually a kind of proclamation um, that, we, that we give to Christ when we do what he tells us to do. So to keep God's word is not only means to read it, but, but to observe it, right? Observing God's word means to do it, to put it into practice. It's like the same way that we would keep a holiday, whether that's Christmas or Thanksgiving. So like Christmas, you, um, you buy the gifts and you have family over, you read, you read about Jesus' birth, you, you go to Kenosha City Church uh, for Christmas Eve, everybody does that. Um, but it's us practicing what God has given to us in his word. So by doing all of these things, by, by sharing our faith, by, by leaning into God, by keeping his word, is, is that God slowly moves us along into whatever he has for you to do before he gets back. My third point today is that, is that we're open because it matters. What we desire, what we long for, what we seek after, what we find to be the best thing that we can attain, that matters to God. Not that it's better than him, but what we desire, it matters. To Revelation chapter 3, he says, 
to the angel of the church in Laodicea. Right? These are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. He says, I know your deeds, that you are neither hot or you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot or cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say I'm rich and I've acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you're wretched, you're pitiful, you're poor, you're blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold and uh, refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve. How do you say that? Salve? I'm just going to say solution. Eye solution to put on your eyes so you can see. Uh, one, of the, one of the things you'll notice is that, is that the church of Laodicea is actually called lukewarm by God. Now, I, d- I don't know if we can really understand what that means. Um, what, d- what does it mean to be lukewarm? I know for us is that we, we can get any kind of water we want, and we'll say that whether we want it hot, cold, filtered, Fiji, whatever kind of water you want, you can get it. But for the church then, is they couldn't do that. They actually had to wait for the water to come down the pipeline, and by the time it got to to Laodicea, it was actually kind of stale and just blah. And so Jesus was telling them something that they've experienced literally every single day, and they just got used to it. And I know for me, when I think of lukewarm, it's like, okay, what does that mean? It's like, you ever, you ever get in the shower, and it, like all the hot water has been used, and so you crank it up super high, and it's like, not hot, but not cold. You know what I'm talking about? It's just annoying so you, you, you sit in the water, you sit in the shower for like 10 seconds, you're like, I'm done with this. And you turn it off, that's lukewarm. Imagine taking a shower like that literally every single day. And so what God was doing is that he was contrasting their faith with something that would, they would have experienced every single day. And for that, he says, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Seems pretty intense. Then he says, you say to me that, you say that I am rich and have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. The city was actually fairly wealthy. They had a lot of money. And so likely the church members had a lot of money. So they were known to have fine jewelry and clothing. So like Louis Vuitton, Gucci, Prada. I have no idea what those clothings are because I'm not rich. <laughs> but they had them, just trust me. Um, <laughs> The, the eye salve, the solution that, they, that, they, that Jesus referenced is that they actually made that in the, in the city. There was, a, there was actually a Jewish temple that had a medical school that created this, and they actually sold it globally. They were rich. They were wealthy. And, and in fact, they were so independent. They were so independent that, that when uh, an earthquake hit in 60 AD, they actually denied resources from other people like, around them. They said that we don't need them. They were rich, they were modern, they were up to date. They probably had Uber and shipped and, and Amazon Go stores. If you don't know what that is, check it out online. Super awesome. Uh, Stitch Fix. They literally had everything the world had to offer, and yet their faith was just lukewarm. I know for me, when I sometimes I can get into this place where it's like, God, if, if you were to just drop a $1.5 million in my bank account, I don't have to tell anybody. Just, just drop it in. I, I, could, I could serve you as much as I wanted. 
I could volunteer as much as I wanted. I could pray. I could read my Bible as much as I wanted. And, and so, what we're, so what I tend to do is like, God, if you just fix my circumstances, if you just kind of give me the promotion, give me, give me the right job. And, and maybe for you, you've gotten yourself into that motion that, God, if, if you just fix my circumstances, if you just make me wealthy, if you just, you just, make, just make it possible, then I will be spiritually on fire for you. But it's crazy that despite all of the comfort, despite all the ease, Jesus says that they were wretched, poor, and blind. There's something about comfort and riches that ease and in ease that kind of creep into us spiritually that if left unchecked, we can become more dependent on ourselves and on money and riches rather than on Jesus. There's something about riches, about the riches of life that can suffocate our desire to know Christ and to even see our need for him. And so he, he continues to counsel them. He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your same shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. And I think what Jesus is suggesting here is that even on earth that has riches and pleasure and joy is that so does he. I found it so interesting that he, he says to buy from, from them the same things that they had. they had. They already had all that stuff, but Jesus says, I have the same thing but better. So where are you at this morning? I have three steps of action, three steps of action that I want us to consider. Prep kit. Is that consider where you have fallen into the appearance trap. Have you just come to church and just kind of try to do the thing and, and be the thing and, and look like you blend in? Just, just consider it and ponder it. Maybe, maybe, maybe you're here this morning and you're like, I just want to learn how to share my faith more. So just consider ways that maybe you've just kind of passed over the opportunity to share your faith. Thirdly, just consider what captures your desire more than Christ. I know that one just seems so easy. Like so many things that can just capture our emotions. And sometimes it's good things. Like sometimes it can be school or work or, or providing for the family or whatever it may be. But if any of those things overcome or overwhelm our desire for Christ, it becomes sour. So let's bow our heads. God, we thank you for this morning and what you're speaking to us and what you're doing in us. Um, God, I just pray for our church that we wouldn't fall into just the appearance of, of looking like the thing and acting like the thing and wanting to be the thing. But I just pray that we would actually have a genuine relationship with you. Maybe there's some people here this morning, I just pray that... Um, God, that you would stir in us to just find ways, just natural segues to, to share our faith and, and to give Christ to other people and, and the hope of what you've done for us. Also, God, I just pray that you would, that you would capture our desire, God. I know it's so easy, God, especially, especially nowadays, so easy to just lose, lose fire, lose desire to, to know you more, God. There's so many things that could just pull us away and capture our hearts. And God, so if, if there's anybody here this morning that, that feels like they've just lost the desire to know you, God, I just pray that you would fill them afresh, you'd fill them new, that you would bless them, God, that you would, that you would meet with them this morning.
And God, I just want to pray, if, if there's anyone here, if there's anyone here this morning that um, you feel like you want to give your life to Christ, you, you want to take that next step of knowing Jesus and um, believing in him and trusting him and, and leaning into him, if, if that's you, I just want, just want to ask you to raise your hand in this moment. Thank you. So God, I just pray for, for those who have, who've said yes to you, God, that you would fill them, that you would, that you would uh, meet with them, that, God, that you would really just start to, to move into, into their hearts and lives, God. So we thank you for this morning and just want to bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode. If you would like to know more about Kenosha City Church, then check us out online at kenosha.church or on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Kenosha City Church. Lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, we encourage you to follow us so that you never have to miss an episode. At Kenosha City Church, we are not perfect people, but real people being made new through Jesus.